0: Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Psalm 89, if you have your Bibles and you're willing and able, would you turn there with me? Psalm 89. When I mapped out this sermon series back in November, uh, I really was just going to focus on two verses. um, In verses 11 and 12 the more I dug in and the more I studied, the more I'm like, I cannot, I'm going to probably feed you the whole pie today. I'm not going to feed you just a piece. I'm not going to give you just even a bite of it. I'm going to feed the whole pie. So if you gag a little on it, it's, yes, it's my fault. It wasn't my initial plan. I just feel led to share this whole psalm and we'll try to walk through it quickly. And then the application of it, as we think about this idea uh, of, again, what if, what if As prayerful stewards, as we think about the stewardship of God, remember, God owns it all. He's placed us here as his steward, which, by the way, I know we're in February, okay, and usually we do stewardship in January. We had missionaries here the first week, so everything got pushed back a week, because my wife was like, what are you preaching on? I'm like, stewardship. She's like, we're in February. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Next week, we'll be in Romans. Back in Romans, Romans chapter 14, we're going to start a two-week, series, or two-week study on gray issues. It should be really interesting. I'll come prepared as best as I can, and you come prepared too, all right? If you want to begin digging in as Paul addresses gray issues. But this morning, we we'll want to look at Psalm 89 and this idea, again, as prayerful stewards, what if... And it's, it's this idea of what if we trust God with everything? What if we trust God with everything? You, you, you may say, well, I try to do that. I do too. I try to do that. And again, stewardship isn't just money. A lot of people go there. Money is a part of that. We've already touched a little bit on that. And the idea of where our treasure is, there our heart is also. Jesus has a lot to say about money. All right, It's probably right up there with the top three things that he talks about in the New Testament. Money is an important aspect of life. It's also an important aspect of what, uh, what we allow it to do at times in our heart, in our minds. But money isn't the only thing that we should be concerned about when it comes to stewardship. It's every area of our life. All right, it, it, It's concerning my, my job, your work. It's concerning my relationships, my wife, my children, my friends. It it concerns every portion and every little nook and cranny of my life. That's stewardship. And so when we think about this, what if we trusted God with everything? What What would your life look like if you really trusted God with that thing that you're worried about? Or that thing that you're consumed about. It may be your health. It may be a person. It may be a thing. But what if you, as a prayerful steward, trusted God? Easy to say, right? Well, we want to dig into this psalm because I think uh, this psalm has a lot of great things. So if you're willing and able, would you stand with me um, as we walk through... 52 verses. The good part is it's a psalm, all right? So the verses are pretty short, okay? Uh, it is interesting. This psalm is written by Ethan, all right? I don't think we have any Ethans here this morning, uh, but this is the only psalm that we have that is written by Ethan, all right? He gives us this one, and, and it's, it's really good, and let's dig into it. You follow along with me as I read. Psalm 89, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Selah. Now let me pause for just a moment. That's what that means. A pause. As best as we know it. It's a musical term. Okay. And we're going to see how that, that pause is critical to Ethan as what he is writing. Okay, so notice every time there's a selah or a pause, there's a shift. Here we are. Verse 5. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord? A God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones. And awesome above all who are around him. O Lord God of hosts, who is as mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea. With its waves rise, you still them. You crushed Rahab like a carcass. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours And the earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Hermon jealously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High, your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festival the festival shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exalt in your name all the day, and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor our horn is exalted, for our shield belongs to the Lord our King, to the Holy One of Israel. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one, and said, "I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall be strengthened shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, the wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him." My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers, and he shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him, I will establish his offspring forever, and his throne is the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or all to the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever, his throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. Selah. But now you have cast off and you've rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant of your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You've also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You have made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. Selah. How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. For what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Selah. Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked. And how I bear in my heart the insults of all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord. With which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Lisa, will you do me a favor? In, in on my desk, I forgot to get it, is a little uh, songbook. You'll see it sitting on my desk. You'll remember it too. As she gets that, it's a little songbook um, that I borrowed uh, from Norton Baptist Church um, that we sang. Some of you got that. Um, I didn't steal it. I just borrowed it because they weren't using it anymore. Um they were actually. I found them in a dusty old suitcase that was back in a corner, back stuffed away. These little little songbooks. Uh, you remember that? Yeah. These uh, little songbooks we we used uh, when we were young, like we were teenagers, um, elementary elementary age, not teenagers, younger, um, and. It, I remember singing some of these songs, and so I borrowed one um, so that I could keep it and and one of the things that I remembered when i was when I started looking at this psalm was a song that we sang out of here, and depending on what your translation is, if you have King James, it probably reads a little bit more like this song uh, versus the e s v that that I read, but it goes like this. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing. I will sing. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing of the mercies of the Lord. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness. With my mouth will I make known thy faithfulness to all generations. I was going to sing it to you, but I'll not do that. What's that? Eric, you see me after class, okay? <laughs> it's a great reminder to sing of the mercies of the Lord. And isn't it so interesting as you walk through this psalm, it's almost like there's the three different portions that the psalmist walks us through here. And, and it helps me because it's real life. Like this... This is what we walk through and we encounter every day as we follow the Lord. That's the beauty of the Psalms. They're so real. They're not just this, uh, oh, Lord, everything's great all the time. When I follow you, life is such a breeze. And oh, we just love you, Lord. And No, that's not life. There's a wrestling that goes on. And we see that as the psalmist starts here, uh, he he begins with a singing and with a praise as a response to what? To God's covenant to David. Notice what he says here. He says, verse 2: For I said steadfast love will be built upon forever, and in the heavens you will establish your faithfulness. Why? Because verse 3 tells us, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. Who's the chosen one? Keep reading. I have sworn to David my servant. So here in response to God's covenant to David, there's a, a recognizing of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. Or another way to look at that is to see his mercy and truth that he provides. If you go through this this psalm, you'll see these two phrases or two words over and over again. Steadfast love found in verse 1, 2, 14, 24, 28, 33, and 49. You also see your faithfulness found in 1, 2, 5, 8, 14, 24, 33, and 49. I say that to help you realize when... When the scriptures are written and when we see these things multiple times, we should take note of that. There's something critical, important for us that we need, to, we need to glean. We need to grab hold of. So if you're rappelling down a mountain and you need something to grab hold of in life, here's some things that you need to grab hold of. Also, he talks about the heavens in verse 2, 5, 11, and 29. He talks about a covenant in verse 3, but then he comes back to it. In verse 28 and 34 and verse 39, he uses the word forever. Like, how long is this trip going to take? It's taking forever. You do this all the time. I learned very quickly in marriage when we were first married not to use those kind of terms. You do this all the time. Oh, really? I'm sorry I'm always like that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. He uses this term forever, though, in verse 1, 2, 4, 28, 29, 36, 37, 46, and 52. The psalmist is trying to get across this point. Steadfast love, your faithfulness, forever. Forever. And then he throws in generations a couple times as well. As we've already seen, there's this break, there's a pause, Selah that is thrown in here. And so we see this first section in verses one through four. Again, it's a response to God's covenant to David. Then we see in verses five through thirty seven, there's kind of a three section here in this in this portion. The first in verses 5 through 14 talks about the greatness and the bigness of God. Who is like God? There is no one like God. And he talks about the prayer and the reverence and the fear that we should have. Verses 15 through 18, he talks about God's people are blessed, they're exalted. Those who know him are exalted. Now, let me pause and go back. And let's reference just a couple things when we think about stewardship here. If you look at verse 11, I just want to remind us, okay? Um, he talks about the raging seas. God moves the waves. You move the waves. You might be in a boat that moves the waves, but you don't, you're don't. not really moving the waves, okay? Those waves move the boats and the ships. But we see here in verse 11, the heavens are whose? They're gods. Do you own the heavens? Notice what the next part says. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. So let me remind us, when you think about all the things that you have, and you think that you deserve, or that you're going to place yourself on that throne, who owns the heavens and the earth and everything in it? Who does? You? You? You don't own that. We don't own that. God owns that. So the greatness and the bigness of God, who is like him? Oh, there is no one like him. And then we see, again, it's God's people are exalted. Those who know and follow God, he lifts them up. Which is going to be contrasted with what we've read, what is coming later in another section. But Ethan is helping us to see those who do follow God will be exalted. That's part of his promise. Verses 19 through 37, the third part of this section, God's spoken promises we see here. And what's his spoken promises? It's his word about David. It's his word about David and who David is and how he has promised to bless David. Ethan, as he's writing, He's writing not from his perspective here. Verse 19 helps us to see that there's a transition. Of old, you spoke, God spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, What? I have granted help. This is God speaking here. This is his spoken promises that he's going to walk through. I have granted help to the one who is mighty. Who's that? I have exalted one chosen from amongst the people. Who could that possibly be? I have found, verse 20, David. Isn't it great God just doesn't keep us in suspense like he could have? And he does sometimes in our life. And then sometimes he just pulls the veil back and he allows us to see. But here he's helping us to clearly see again. Who is this covenant with? What's his spoken word to him? He has promised that he will bless David. If you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you will see the direct promise and, and conversation that God has with David. That he will not abandon David. And that his generation will, will, will be established forever. And then there's a promise. For those who abandon, he is going to discipline We know this term rod here. If you have a child, you know that verse 32 is real. Because spare the rod, you spoil the child. Verse 32, I will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. But I will not remove from him my steadfast love. Or be false to my faithfulness. Then we see a break here in verse 37. That term, Selah. Now we get to the realness, right? Now we get to see what is Ethan really wrestling and struggling, struggling with life. Because the first, the first 37 verses, if we just stop there, we think, oh man, life is going well. Life is great for Ethan. And this is just a psalm written for God's glory and for his praise and for his great splendor. But in verse 38, we see the realness that there is a situation going on that's perplexing. That's causing Ethan and the people of God to question if they can trust God. Ever been there? That's the beauty of the Psalms. In verses 38 through 45, it can kind of be summed up in this. Have you forgotten your promises? Look at how things are now. God, have you forgotten us? Have you forgotten what I just said that you said? Look at our situation. Look at what's going on in our lives, God. Then we get to verse 45, and there's another pause. There's this phrase, starting in verse 46, How long, O Lord? This phrase appears 54 times in the English Standard Version. We see it um, multiple times throughout the Psalms. We see it in, in Psalm chapter 6 and verse 3. We see it in Psalm 13 verses 1 and 2. We see it in Psalm 35 verse 17. We see it in Psalm 62 verse 3. We see it in Psalm 74 verse 10, 79 verse 5, 80 verse 4, 82. Verse 2. We see it here in 89, 46. We see it in Psalm 90, verse 13. We see it in Psalm 94, verse 3. And we see it in Psalm 119, verse 84. How long, O Lord? How long is it going to stay this way? And then we see, Lord, don't you remember? My life is short. I can't escape death. We see this phrase also used in Isaiah 6:11, Jeremiah 47, 6, Habakkuk 1, 2, Zechariah 1, 1.2, Zechariah 1.12, and Revelation 6.10. How long, O Lord? God is not a God who has abandoned his people. But God is at work, and when he is at work, He will do His will and do things His way. God cannot sin. God will not put up with sin amongst His people. If you think that you've escaped, beware. Be careful. Because it's just a matter of time. Why? Because God loves His people. And God loves his children. He wants what is best for us. The psalmist is crying out because it seems like God has abandoned his word, his covenant, but God has not. And in some ways, the psalmist even exaggerates. Notice what he says in verse 39 You have renounced the covenant with your servant. That is an exaggeration. (laughs) God didn't renounce his covenant with David. He was faithful to his word. That here the nation during Ethan's time had abandoned God and God was disciplining them. God was faithful to his word. Then we see this other last final pause in verse 48. And we get to verse 49 through 51. And ultimately, it can be summed up where is your steadfast love? Where is your faithfulness to David? The very thing that he starts off, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. He's saying at the end, Where is it? Where is it gone? Where are you? There are times in our lives as we prayerfully live as His stewards that we will feel like God has abandoned us, that God has not kept His part of the bargain, that God has not kept His word. And let me tell you, that is a lie. It is a lie that we all must wrestle with. And who is the father of lies? It is not God. God is the speaker of only truth. The father of lies is Satan himself. And he seeks to devour you. He is roaming around like a roaring lion seeking to defeat you. And not just to defeat you, but to destroy you. How can he do that? To cause you to doubt God. To make you think that you can't trust him anymore. I love the way the psalmist, Ethan, here, he finishes this. Because even in the midst of all this, what does he say? Verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever amen and amen do you get it again and again blessed be the lord forever and ever regardless of our sinfulness regardless of the sin around us regardless of god and how he's working in each situation that surrounds us regardless of that god's loving kindness and his faithfulness is forever. God's faithfulness and his loving kindness is not defined by your circumstances. So what do we need to do? How can we how can we trust God with everything? How can we take away from what we've read? And live that out to wrestle with life in those hard times, in those difficult situations. But even as we go through great blessings, how do we live? I want to give you four things here. Number one, I want you to remind yourself of what God's word says. Ethan does that. He starts that off in the very beginning. He He references back to God's covenant with David. His loving kindness and his faithfulness. He helps us and he helps the nation of Israel. As they would have sang this song. It's part of their hymnal. It's actually the last song in this portion of their hymnal. Which I think is important for us to understand and see. This this is the last one in this section. Meaning there's, there's some significance to this. Not that the other ones are more important or less important or this is, this is greater. There's a significance because as they get to the end of this section, they're reminded. They're reminded of what God has told them as a nation and as a people. And so I ask you, what are you reading Are you memorizing God's word? Are you digging into it? Are you reminding yourself of what God's word says? Or are you just taking some leftovers of what you think God's word says? Well, I remember this verse I memorized like 45 years ago. I think it kind of goes like, dig in. Read the word. What promises do you know today that come from God's word? Because when we start failing to trust God with everything, it's because we forget and we don't have before us the promises he's already told us. I want you to dig into the word of God and maybe part of your journey as you're prayerfully living life this year that you would claim the promises of God in here. You would dig them out. You would memorize them. You would say, yes, God, I do believe that you will never leave me nor forsake me. And right now I feel like I'm abandoned right now. I feel like I'm all alone. You've been in situations like that. I'm sure of it. And if you haven't, it's coming. It may be when you get a phone call. It may be when you're sitting in a doctor's office. It may be when you get a bill in the mail. Sometime at some place, you are going to critically need the promises of God. And my question to you is, do you have them? Are you ready Remind yourself of what God's word says. Read it and memorize it. May it be ever so real to us that it's there. Number two, reverently approach God. Reverently approach God. Now the beauty is, again, we can come boldly before the throne of grace because of what Jesus has done for us. And we should. We should know that we can come to God at any time. Any place, in any, any situation. But as we come, I believe today we've lost a reverence for who God is. Yes, he is our friend. But God is more than just our friend. Do you know that? God is the great almighty creator who is perfect in all of his ways. He is righteous and he is just. And as the psalmist told us here, he's the one who makes the ocean waves. He's the one who has built the heavens. He's the one who owns it all. Don't you think that we should reverently acknowledge who he is? James 4.10 helps us to see that if we humble ourselves before the Lord... He will then exalt us. It's about acknowledging Him. The psalmist helps us do that. He does that first before he acknowledges what's going on in his life. He reverently approaches God. Do you? Or do you flippantly go about your day and you forget... That we have the amazing opportunity to talk to the God, the God of the universe, the God who is perfect and right all the time. Number three. Number three, I want you to recall who God is. To recall who God is, first was to remind yourself of what God's word tells us and says, then we want to reverently approach God. But as we approach him, then I want you to recall who God says he is. In our text here, we see that he is sovereign and that he is the owner. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. You okay with that? I'm okay with that when it works out well for me. When my car breaks down, or I get a flat tire, or when my kid's sick, or my friend's mad at me, I lose my job, or I get a bill in the mail. Wait a minute. Recall who God is. He is sovereign. He is the owner. Verse 14 tells us that he is righteous and just. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. He's righteous. He's just. He's full of mercy and truth and he's not here to pound us down no it's a reminder to look in Jeremiah 29:11 and the promise that he has for these same people that Ethan is writing about plans for you to prosper plans for you to flourish Psalm 138 verse 8 says the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me David writes that we think about David in this covenant And David was a man after God's own heart. But we know, as we read, sometimes we question and we say, God, how could he be a man after your own heart? This man who committed murder, adultery, who lied, who deceived. How could he be a man after your own heart? God loved David, but David loved God even with all of his faults even with all of his sin, David acknowledged his sin before God. It isn't that we're not going to mess up. We should not sin that grace may abound. But when we do sin, if we run to the almighty God and confess our sin, God takes great pleasure to forgive us of our sin. We acknowledge Who he is and who we are. We fall short of his perfect standard. And yet his purpose will be fulfilled in you. He desires that for you. Do you know what his purpose is? If you don't, dig into the word. Spend time with him. Get to know who God is. Because who he is is how he wants you to live. The fourth and final is this. Remember, God is true to his word. Remember, God is always faithful. God is true to his word. There's a great joy in this. Because the joy that I get from this is my sin is not going to mess up God's plan. Some of you sit here this morning and you feel like you've wrecked everything. The truth is, God desires for your heart and your mind to be his. He wants your body to be his. He wants everything that you have. He wants you to remember that you are his steward and that he owns it. And that he wants to utilize you in the gifts and abilities, your time, your energy, everything that you have. God wants to use it. But there may be something that's holding you back. And it may be because you don't trust him. Maybe you don't trust him at his word. Maybe you feel like you've fallen too far away or you've messed up one too many times. The truth is, that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible gives me chance after chance after chance after chance. Isn't that amazing? Do we take advantage of that? Surely not. Don't abuse it. It's like slapping him in the face. It's like cheapening his grace, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Don't cheapen the grace of God. It's a gift to us. Your sin is not going to mess up God's plan. He wants to utilize you, He wants you to trust Him. God made a covenant with David, and God made a covenant with you and me. We read about it, we talked about it already. That covenant that we read in Matthew 26, verse 28. Mark 14, verse 24. Luke 22, verse 20. And in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty five, 25. A new covenant that we have been given. That covenant that's found in Jesus. God is true to his word. What we read in Hebrews is true. He will f- not remember your sins anymore. Can you believe that? I'm sorry. I cannot. I remember mine. You do? I got some skeletons. Not you don't remember mine, Mary Kay, right? Yeah, you better not. Yeah. There for a minute I thought you were like, "Yeah, I remember yours, Pastor Aaron." I I I have trouble letting go. The guilt and the shame. The unworthiness that I feel, and I'm sure many of you feel. That's part of your story. It's part of how God desires to utilize you to reach a lost and dying world so that others may see and hear about Jesus, about the hope that he brings, about the life he brings, about the forgiveness that he brings. Unfortunately, Christians in different times and in different places in the world have tried to live so uprightly that they're so divided from the world that the world looks at them and says, I could never be a follower of Jesus. I'm never good enough. Of course, you're not. We're not. I'm not. But the covenant of Jesus that he brings, God is true to his word. That covenant, though, As we read, and as we read in the psalm, there's two things I want to mention. Number one, that covenant includes discipline. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14, and Proverbs 13, verse 24, I won't have time to read them, but it says, if you have a child, you should use the rod. And if you don't, you don't love your kid. That's not a popular message today, is it? But when we look at the New Testament, we see that God does the same for us. The parent who is willing to discipline and to spank their child is the same parent who says, I love you. Before I would spank my kids, and yes, I did spank them. There were other ways of discipline that I used too. It wasn't just spanking. All right? I don't spank Zach anymore. I love you, buddy, but I'm a little scared of him sometimes. Don't tell him that, but he's getting bigger. So there's different discipline. I'm not just saying it's just spanking, but when we look at discipline, and when we would spank our children when they were younger, we would say this phrase over and over to them, so that they understood it wasn't coming out of anger, it wasn't coming out of because because we were so furious. We said. We love you too much. To allow you to continue to do this. Because that's the discipline I read of in the scripture. About God. I love you Aaron too much. To allow you my child. To continue to keep sinning like this. And so I'm going to discipline you. That's what we see in Hebrews chapter 12. It says it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. We are disciplined for the purpose of living righteous lives. That shows, when we're disciplined, it shows we have a relationship with God. I fear discipline because I know it can be great. My daddy had a board, and anytime we had to go to the basement, we knew it was trouble. I knew it. And there are times I tried to cover it up. I put a book back here. (laughs) And I knew that was too obvious. So I got a roll of toilet paper. And I didn't want the punishment to be great. Because I knew what was coming. I knew what I deserved. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. And you've just been sinning. And you know it. Let me tell you. Acknowledge God's discipline. He's there and He loves you. Take whatever consequences may come and accept them, but run to Him. Because ultimately, His discipline is to show us that He loves us, to show us that sin isn't what is best for us. It may be what you like, it may be what the world tells you to pursue. But a loving God says, no, let me tell you the truth. The second part of this uh, to remember God is true to his word is what we see here about God's steadfast love. Psalm 16 verses 1 and 2. I love how the psalmist says, you are my Lord. I have no God apart from you. Where would you be without the steadfast love of God? It's there. It's never-ending. God loves you as much today as he ever will. Remember, God is true to his word. This takes me back to another song. A song that's actually in this book as well. And the song that you probably know well. Man, I've gone over time. I'm sorry. (laughs) For those of you who have a problem, listen to these other people, okay? (laughs) If your roast is burning, I'll buy you a new one. Just let me know how much it was. And show me evidence, too. (laughs) As we close today, I want to take us to an old hymn. An old hymn that reminds us that if we trust and obey there is no other way to be happy in Jesus this hymn starts with when we walk with the lord in the light of his word what a glory he sheds on our way while we do his good will he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey You jump to the fourth verse, and this is what I'd like for you to take with you today. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. What if you, what if we, humbled ourselves and prayed? If we saw his kingdom and his righteousness first? What if we did something extraordinary? What if we trusted him with everything? What would happen? The rest of that verse four says, for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them. Who will trust and obey? Will you trust him? Will you obey him? He's worthy of it, isn't he? As we walk through this year as prayerful stewards. What if we do these things? I think we'll see God in a whole new light. And we'll see him work in a great way. Will you bow with me and close in prayer? God, we are not worthy of your steadfast love. for you to show us and to express to us your love and your forgiveness and your desire for us to prosper, not prosper according to the world, but to prosper in righteousness and in love and grace, to find your favor, or to be in right standing with the God of the universe. It's overwhelming, Lord. And yet you give us choice. You allow us to respond. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be a people who who would be prayerful stewards. Who would come before your throne and be quick to acknowledge who you are and who we are as sinners and to... Repent from our sin and ask for your forgiveness. If we would but humble ourselves before you and pray. Lord, thank you for your continued work in us. And I pray that as we leave here today, that regardless of if the situation is big or small, regardless of if we can see it and control it, or if we feel like we can't do anything, remind us, Lord, remind us of your promises that you've told us. Help us to spend time in your word and before your presence that you may show us your truths, that regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what takes place in our life today or the week ahead or the months ahead, Lord, may it be said of us that we are a people who trust you. I thank you for your spirit, for your work amongst us this day. Continue to mold us more like your son Jesus And as we leave here today, we proclaim and we sing of the mercies of the Lord. And may it be forever with our mouth and with our lives. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. Have a great week. Lord bless you.